Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Alex Viana, VP of Data at Vercel, has had a truly unique career. Starting with the role at the Hubble Space Telescope, Alex found his way into the data space by way of data security and searching for leaked data assets. Today, he leads the data organization at Vercel, where he views building teams, technology, processes, and metrics as his primary responsibility. In this episode, Alex shares his thoughts on leading data teams at different but fast-growing tech companies, the importance of building scalable data platforms, delivering value through stakeholder engagement, and balancing long-term vision with short-term action as a key to success. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Welcome, Alex. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Sonny. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining from uh, beautiful Chicago, Illinois. Okay, Chicago. So you have a bit of an interesting background. Tell us a little bit about you, yourself, who you are, and your journey into data. I went to the University of Wisconsin from undergrad, uh, where, as you alluded to, I studied uh, math and uh, astronomy. And my first gig out of college was actually working for the Hubble Space Telescope for seven years. So that was uh, kind of the culmination of my dream. I wanted to, to be an astronomer, and I worked there as kind of an analyst and a software developer. The deputy director, John Grunsfeld, was a retired astronaut. So just a, a staggering amount of talent to be around at the start of your career when you're in your early 20s. Um, from there, I did a stint uh, for about almost five years in the data security world, working on the dark web at a company that was looking for uh, stolen leaked data assets, learned a lot about engineering product um, and distributed systems and, and starting to do kind of more big data scale work there. Then I did a... Uh, couple of years working for a uh, healthcare startup. And that's where I felt like my data journey started to make sense. Prior to that, I'd felt kind of conflicted where when I was doing engineering work, I was always the engineer who cared the most about measuring the impact of what we were doing, um, you know, measuring the impact of bugs before we addressed them, analytics, that kind of stuff. But then it was when I was on the analytics side of the house uh, doing data science, I was very concerned with reproducibility, code quality, pipelines, that kind of thing. And so I felt, you know, oh, shoot, I really have to decide what I'm doing. Like, I just keep jumping around. But in this gig, when I started working in healthcare, I feel like this world of, of the modern data stack, at least to me, kind of became mainstream. And I, I understood that actually there is a place for all of these skills in, in one bucket. And that's where I ran my first uh, data team, built my first data warehouse. And then a year and a half ago, I came over to Vercel to, to kind of do the same thing, except this time doing it as an actual member of the, uh, of the executive team. So this is my first, my first run um, at being a, an executive level VP. And so before we go even more deeper into that, tell us a little bit about your company, where you are today, a little bit about what uh, they do and what you're doing with them. 
So Vercel is a front-end web hosting company, and, and the way we're positioning ourselves right now is this idea of a front-end cloud. And what Vercel is really great at, what we're really trying to do is empower front-end developers. So, um, you know, small teams, regardless of, of what size of company you're working at, can really produce amazing, um, high-impact customer experiences, user experiences with the skill sets they have right now. So more concretely, what that means is, you know, if in a traditional front end team, if you're building something that got a lot of traction that, uh, you know, really blew up and needed to expand in, in whatever way in terms of complexity or, or just you know, bandwidth, you would have to pull in other teams, right? You'd need um, to get your back end teams involved. You need to get DevOps involved. But what we've done using the Vercel platform, using uh, particularly but not exclusively the Next.js um, React framework, which we're the maintainers of, pulled those uh, the ability to control those things into the primitives on the front end. So now those same teams using Vercel, using these frameworks, can have access to analytics, can have access to our globally distributed CDN, to edge compute, to edge caching, to all the things that you would need, like storage uh, solutions, like key value stores or Postgres. You know, you can do that all within our ecosystems with the same skill sets that allowed you to build that kind of initial, beautifully well-designed page. And, and that's been an incredibly powerful paradigm that's really resonated with the front-end community. People, um, you know, companies large and small are building really exciting things on the platform. And so it's, it's a really exciting company to be at. Well, that's that's really great. And so this is kind of a growth stage type of company, you know, four to five hundred people. Is that is that about right? Yeah, growth and, and even, you know, at times hyper growth. Yeah, that's really interesting and exciting to me. Um, I want to go back to something you first said at the, you know, the Hubble Space Telescope. I'm old enough to remember when Hubble was launched uh, and, I, and I've been a huge fan of Hubble all of these years uh, and a, a little bit of a, a amateur astronomer. Um, but if you recall, Hubble was launched and it couldn't see. It was it was like the the mm -hmm. lenses were off, and they had to do a rescue mission to go and and so it was it was so exciting to see Hubble go up, and then it was so disappointing to see that it had those challenges, and then the ingenuity to go back, make the adjustments, yes. do something no one had ever done, and then get insights that we had never seen before. So completely amazing. Well, and it's also interesting because that's kind of the origin of, of some of my my data work, right? Where I really got into this world. One of my original projects is that uh, because the Hubble is funded by the U.S. government, the data is all public domain or eventually public domain. And so we had to have these QA pipelines and all these checks going precisely, I mean, because it was good practice, but also because you know, the Hubble had had these issues with the initial launch. If there anything wrong was going to happen subsequently, we wanted to be the first person, the first people to know. And so, you know, when I started, these were very like automated processes. It was literally like a sheet that you had to go through and like run these scripts and do these visual inspections. And I was like, I, I think... I think we can automate this, right? And from that initial automation was like the very first platform I built to build a data system that eventually became 
for the whole instrument and eventually the, the whole department, this platform where we could every day ingest the new data, compare it, baseline it, see if anything had changed, anything needed to be investigated. And to my knowledge, some of that uh, that code is still running or has influenced <laughs> the next generation. So, um, you know, millions of images have probably gone through at this point. It's uh, it's pretty humbling to have had that impact uh, early in my career. Yeah, I think that's, that's quite amazing. Um, but one of the things I like, your background is math and physics, right? So you were a physics major. And some of those first principles that you were taught in school and that you probably carry with you today, are they carried through to what you're doing even as an executive? Yeah, I think so, right? I think one of the things that I tell people is that I'm, they might find me to be a little bit of an unusual data leader in that I feel like I've kind of gone over this hump of, of not being so dogmatic um, about things like statistical significance or needing all the data. Like I'm now mature enough in, in my quantitative reasoning that I understand that these things are arbitrary and there's some flexibility to them. So going all the way back to my education, right, the, the thing that really blew our hair back and as undergrads is the ability of our professors to do these back of envelope calculations. Physics are kind of Physicists are famous and notorious for, for, you know, being able to say, like, you know, if Superman was jumping over, uh, can jump over a building in a single bound, what can he squat? Right. And being like, well, he's about, you know, this tall. People can jump about one meter. Normally a building is 200 meters tall. You know, add these things together, assume that these things are linear and you get some number. And I'm probably off by these things. I'm going to do a better job of estimating the height of a person than a height of a building. Um, and the way that shows up in, in modern data work is I've been really lucky to work with a broad set of, of communities and stakeholders. And one of the things I've picked up from uh, the security uh, industry, the security folks, is this idea of a risk-based approach, right? You can never completely and you don't actually want to completely neutralize risk. You want to document the risk and, and accept it. And I think it's the same thing with data work. You don't want to, for every situation, have the same degree of precision, the same amount of data required. It's sometimes okay to be directionally mm -hmm. accurate and to estimate things, right? If there's a decision we can make today and, and we have enough information to, to get us in the ballpark, you know, we know there's an order of magnitude improvement. We don't need to know exactly what the percentage is. Let's the goal here is to make a decision quickly to move the business forward. And like, you know, telling people, you know, as head of data, we can estimate here. It's fine. Let's accept a little bit of risk to make the decision today and learn. Yeah. So what does that mean to go from, I mean, you, you were the Space Institute, kind of another growth stage company with HealthJoy. How are those different? How are you know, what does it mean to be with a growth stage company with maybe a large mature enterprise company? In my career in the private sector, I've been everything from the first and only employee of a company through, you know, every day at Vercel is the biggest company I've ever worked at. And so I think the things that you notice as a as an executive, I'll, I'll speak to it first as an executive and then kind of as a data leader, um, you know, there's just so much that that needs to be built. And I think maybe Folks don't um, who haven't sat in the executive seat might not realize how many little things executives are called in to kind of bring their vision to and help save the vision, shape the vision on. So everything from compensation, hiring, offsites, you know, not even getting into the product vision, how we do promotions, you know, how we address and build our culture. What is our culture, right? 
all these little things that have, you know, distinct owners in different departments, but as an executive, you become part of, of crafting and shaping that vision. And there's, there's so much that needs to be, to be built out. And especially as you're growing, you know, you're a different company, depending how quickly you're growing every quarter, every six months, every year. And so you're constantly having to migrate to new systems to handle this. The onboarding that works for 100 people is probably not going to work for 500 people. So everything needs to be continually torn down. And you're always making, um, going back to this risk model of like, we know this won't work, but this works well enough for this year. Next year's cycle, we're going to have to do something different. And then on the data side of this, right, it leads to some interesting challenges where you want to do measurement, you want to do data-driven decisions, but you are, you know, very literally building the plane here. Um, so, <laughs> you know, this product hasn't been launched yet. This product category might not be launched yet. There might not be years of data. You not, might not be able to pull seasonality out of these metrics because it's only been alive for one year. So, you know, trying to figure out how you build metrics, how you do data-driven decision-making in that world where the ground is, is shifting under your feet in a, in a very good and exciting, productive way um, is, is been a really fun challenge. So it's, it's interesting you, you mentioned seasonality and, and with the recent pandemic, a common thing we've seen is that skewed the numbers dramatically, whether it was usage was down or usage went way up, right? So companies were trying to figure out what does the last two years trend mean and what is the impact going forward? So it was interesting. You put it in the frame of, hey, maybe I didn't have that data for, you know, I've only had it for the last six months or three months. But I think companies are seeing that as well, if they can get that data for the last several years. Now, one of the challenges that uh, I hear teams have, data teams have, is they're overworked. They're pulled in a lot of different directions. You know, we're supporting go-to-market strategies and supporting a product. We're supporting additional data quality issues or data ingestion issues. What are some of the challenges that companies like you, yours and you face on a day-to-day -day basis? What are the biggest challenges, if you will? I think you've, you've nailed it, right? Like, I think that issue of prioritization, what do you work on is, is, is universal, right? I, I'm in an interview phase right now, adding some folks to the team. And I always like to leave time at the end for them to ask me questions. And without fail, everyone asks me, uh, how do you do prioritization, right? Which I think just grows to speak that, that I, I wouldn't even say that no one has figured this out. I just think it is, it is endemic to this type of work. There's always bugs in software. There's always prioritization uh, issues in, in the data world. And so I think understanding how you work with that and how you work at that at different scales is very important. Like I've talked about it right now, the, the team at Vercel, I feel is coming out of, if you allow a basketball analogy, we're coming out of a zone defense stage, right? Where like, we're trying to cover things um, in kind of the, you know, a kind of expedient, kind of more ticket driven way, building a platform, um, but just trying to get broad coverage to make sure that that the kind of the lights stay on. And, and we've got a lot of success for that with that. And that was the right amount of investment and spread at that point. And we were able to show that we have success with that. The next stage of growth is, is switching, going back to this analogy of, of playing man to man defense, right? Getting folks embedded in specific teams to build, not only have more bandwidth, but to build those relationships, understand the workflows, be able to anticipate the questions, give feedback, 
Um, but I think the last thing I'll say on this is ultimately for me, the prioritization always has to come from the stakeholders. There's some amount of like globalization that the data leader needs to do, some amount of nudging things based on the vision for the team and the vision for the company. But by and large, I always want our, my stakeholders to feel like, hey, you've asked for three things. Let's decide what's the number one thing. Let's do that thing. Let's come back and learn from it. And, and I think that keeps both the IC from feeling burned out and the stakeholder feeling like they're being listened to and taken care of. So I love it. You talk about you know the man-to-man defense and maybe embedding team members on the business teams or in those data teams. Oftentimes, I come out of a software development background. We came out of this agile background. We created scrum teams and we wanted the folks from the business embedded in our development process. But I think what you're touching on is that sometimes we forget to embed people into the business. We want the business in our software development process, but we we may be not taking our software developers, our data teams and embedding them into the business process. And that can lead to some challenges, like a shared understanding. Have you seen those sorts of shared understandings between the business uh, and your data teams? Currently or in the past? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, again, I think this is one of those those global problems in data. And the way I try to approach it, I'm a big advocate of positioning data, regardless of where it sits, making it really clear that, that data is a service to the entire company, right? You don't just do data for your finance or for your sales team or for your engineering teams. Um, and it's really... In my most idealized state, it's a place that the company comes together to have the data it, it needs, right? And so I try to try and push of like, hey, if we're having this conversation with just products, why isn't CS in this conversation? If we're having a conversation with CS, why isn't product involved, right? Like if product is building something, CS needs to know, customer success needs to know, okay, what are we going to show the customer and vice versa? If CS is showing some of the customer's success metrics, product needs to be trying to increase those same, those same metrics. And so there's a lot of work to be done here. I don't think anyone has ever done on this journey, but I, I think the way you do this is, is by making this kind of data as a platform, data as a process foundation where people know that they can come together and say, like, these are the metrics. I know that engineering and product are providing these. I know that the rest of the company is making decisions off of these sets of data. If something's not in this data set, like that's a flag, um, you know, and, and I think that's something we're definitely moving towards, but, but I think that's, that's how I would address this, a centralized place, some very boring, repeatable fundamental processes <laughs> and a lot of, a lot of visibility. So everyone can kind of dive in and, and kind of grab the same stuff. Yeah. Well, as you're going from various stages in your company to this growth stage, and maturing as a company there, those same things you're talking about, having maybe a boring platform that is centralized to provide these are, are a valuable asset or a valuable data product or a valuable data asset. Do you see data literacy, data fluency with throughout your company as something that is needed at this stage of your company? Is it something that you're responsible for? How does that work within your company? Ultimately, you need to start by meeting your stakeholders where they are, right? And I think point. if you're working across the company, you know, you're probably naturally going to have huge variations across teams and across individuals. Like teams tend to have that one person who is like the data person who really loves it, who, you know, and that could be everything from loves writing SQL to like loves uh, digging into spreadsheets. Those people are usually really good 
anchor point to kind of learn how to engage and work with these teams. But people are going to need different solutions. And I think you need to have kind of that range and that ladder, right, of like, this is the very, uh, this is the embedded, we've shipped it into your other tool into Salesforce option. You've got the GUI, the, the BI tool option. You've got the kind of safe sandboxes where you can write very simple SQL queries, you know, and then you've got maybe the lower level stuff, really only the engineers, um, you know, or the product managers could could dig in. And, and so the, the theme here, right, is like, Going back to the previous question, building a system, building a platform. If you have these kind of nuts and bolts, these kinds of fundamentals, if you have good abstractions, if you have good and useful data marts, it becomes much easier to scale this up or down. If you have a great set of data, but you don't have folks on the other end who can query it with SQL, you know, you can do a little bit of work querying in SQL, but you can do everything up to building a custom app for them, a custom web portal that's, you know, really easy to do internally on Vercel. We do this a lot on the data team, just building like a data app. And so, but that's only successful if you've organized your data. Like once, once things are kind of organized and documented, your possibilities and the speed at which you can accomplish these different things is, is greatly accelerated. So I'm hearing a little bit about your expertise uh, as an engineer, your expertise in Python and SQL. Is that shaping today uh, how you see data teams, how you see your role as an executive? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a good question because it, it, it gets at this idea of, of what an executive is supposed to be doing. And I think one of the key things that you start to have, have to have at the executive level beyond just the director level is a real sense of vision, right? There are lots of strategies that could be successful at different companies and even strategies that could be successful at whatever company you're working at. But the vision that you bring in um, is, is really your role as an executive to pick that, make sure it aligns to your company vision, kind of evolve it, and then you know, propagate the strategies and techniques that we're going to use as a result of that vision. And so, you know, I, I think having that technical background allows me to to have some of that, but also, you know, leverage folks on my team and their expertise. And I think a thing you need to get comfortable with as you become a more seasoned leader um, for bigger and bigger teams is the folks that you're managing, they're reporting to you are going to be increasingly more so experts in these subdomains than you are. I think the traditional route, excuse me, that people become a manager is like you're, you're leading a team. You're maybe the most senior, more technical person on the team. You become a manager. But as, as you scale up, you know, you're no longer that, mo- that expert in as many areas. And you need to learn how to leverage the expertise on folks in your team. And in my, exa- in my case, I've got people on my team who have worked at uh, Meta, at Auth0, at GitHub. And that is something I have to learn to, to, to leverage and take advantage of and make sure I can pull that, that into my vision. In terms of, I think maybe part of your question here is where I see things going. I think for us and for our team, SQL has been a core thing we've indexed on, right? Like that's something we maintain as, as kind of the core lingua franca across everything we do. And the reason for that, going back to these ideas of growth stage and, and different needs, different processes as you scale, the most important thing you can do um, as a data team or as an engineering team um, is something I got from Will Larson, um, who, who does a lot of writing, has written some great books um, on engineering leadership and being a staff engineer, is migrations. 
right? The ability to migrate your processes and migrating your systems and making a decision of like, look, everything will speak SQL ensures a certain amount of interoperability, a certain amount of ability to migrate as things need to scale. So I, I think it's also interesting that you were talking about, you know, as becoming this leader of a digital native, this growth stage company coming out of a technical side of the world, you're learning to scale yourself, right? And growth stage companies are also learning to scale their business. I, it's a little bit of a misnomer at times when we say growth stage companies. We're really talking about also scaling that company and growing without incurring new cost. Can you talk about the importance of your data team for go-to-market and scaling your company? Well, first of all, within, within the data team, going back to strong platforms, right? One of the aspects of that is being able to measure your cost, measure your spend, forecast it, understand what's happening across all of your systems. Um, and then I think from there, it, to kind of scale that outward, it begins with these partnerships, right? Are you able to work effectively with finance? Are you willing to, are you able to work effectively with RevOps to pull in the data you need to, to build these models um, and to kind of continue to work on those things as you scale? Like I think a natural evolution is you might start with uh, products where you just want to know utilization and forecast the utilization. I think maybe the next evolution of that, like, well, we want to be able to tie revenue to this, right? Of all the activity that's happening on here, how do we bill for that? Right. And then I would think the next activation would be like, well, can we get some aspect of cogs in here? So it's not just yeah. revenue, like is, or I need this stuff, uh, a loss leader. And I think you start by doing all of these things um, in an ad hoc way. And I think this is a real important distinction, right? Like doing things that do not scale um, and, and recognizing that there is value in doing that. Like we will run that one off analysis. We will um, look at this one um you know, this one thing that we kind of worried as a cost center right now on, on a certain plan or certain tier. But I think what data teams can bring to that is like in the back of their mind and, and eventually explicitly like, okay, well, how do I do this for everything? Right. right. Am I, am I saving that query? Am I saving the issue? Am I saving the record of the work? Is there a place in my DAG, in my pipelines where I could potentially slot this in? You know, how do I make it scale? And I think that's where data teams can, can really help the, the stakeholders know what's important you can answer stuff, you know, deliver immediate impact right now, answering ad hoc, but then get them on that journey with you for like, hey, we really shouldn't do this in a spreadsheet. Like, it's great that you did it in a spreadsheet, but let's, let's work together to automate it. Yeah, I love it. The thing I wanted to, to ask you about here was determining your value as an executive can be a little bit challenging. So can you walk us through that process, how you thought about it, maybe what factors roll into that? That's a great question because I can speak to it as someone who was in their first year and a half as an executive, right? Having just kind of made that jump. And I, I've thought a lot about uh, that particular jump. Um, I'm fortunate to have a, a great group of, of peers that I've been in touch with regularly over the years as we've kind of grown through our careers and, and bounced ideas off. I think that's just as a footnote, super helpful for for development and sanity, but thinking a lot about the different types of work we all do, those of us who are at the executive level, those of us who are founders, those are maybe directors, but working at a much bigger company. For me, I think making the jump to an executive is about a, a couple of things. So one, thinking about why you want to do this kind of work, right? And if you don't know what this kind of work looks like, this, you know, there's you know homework assignment number one to <laughs> 
um, figured out. And I think listening to this podcast is probably a great start. But, um, you know, why, why do you want to do that kind of work? You, we we'd talked earlier about, you know, getting a certain kind of so- joy and satisfaction from writing software, right? Like, are you, are you going to be able to find a similar amount of joy and satisfaction at doing executive level work? And, and for me, you know, I find the same kind of joy of building whatever kind of system, right? Like whether it's a software system, whether it is a system for promotion and ranking, a system for how we approach data work, that kind of starting with the blank slate and trying to build some structure and framework there so that other people can be successful is something that continues to be um, rewarding to me at whatever scale. I think the other thing you need to figure out if you want to be an executive is what do you bring to the table? And I don't mean that in like a like a harsh evaluative way, but like, like what kind of executive do you want to be? Like why there are companies, you know, let, let's start from the assumption if you're listening to this and you want to be an executive, there are companies that you are going to be a good fit for. What are those companies? Like what, what will you bring to the table? As an example, I think because of my um, career trajectory, I'm able to have a, a fairly in-depth conversation across math, statistics, engineering, but also, you know, having, I tell the story to people like, because I've been employee number one at a company, whatever job exists at a company, I've screwed it up, right? Like I have a deep appreciation for your job because I have done it wrong. I have been on, you know, sales calls. I have been on sites to onboard customers. You know, I've been debugging things on production. Um, I've had to help troubleshoot things in payroll. I've kind of done it all. So when I'm working with whatever stakeholders, I can have a pretty authentic conversation that's not not theoretical, right? That's very different than someone who is ready to be an executive based on their experience running a 100-person data science team doing cutting-edge research. And so I think identifying for yourself why you want to do this um, and what you can bring to the table is a really good start to understand your value you can bring as an executive and then the last thing I'll add there is, is when you start as an executive, and this was something I'm actually, you know, if I can pat myself on the back, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself that I gave myself permission to be uh, kind of a junior executive. It is the same way that like a junior, um, you know, level programmer is allowed to screw up their PRs. They're actually expected to script their PRs, expect their code. Like that's the learning curve. That doesn't mean they're not supposed to be there. It's just like, oh yeah, you're in your first year of, of working as a software engineer. There's all these lessons you need to learn that are totally normal. And I've given myself some permission to do that at the executive level of like, all right, this is my first quarter being on being in an executive meeting. Like what, when do I speak? This is my first time on an offsite. This is my first time speaking in all hands to a 400 person company. Allowing myself to have that learning curve, which is which is not easy. It's not something a perspective I came by easily. Trust me. I think that's that's been really helpful too. Well, I love the um, balance between exploring and exploiting. Meaning, hey, you, you talked earlier about uh, don't de-risk everything, right? You take enough information, but you're exploring, and in that exploration, you have the opportunity to discover something great. But then there's also the exploiting. You know your technology, you know your skill set. So you exploit those. And I mean exploit in a more positive way. You use those as the best you can to you know, advance the goals and your values. At the same time, you leave space to explore and discover that new, new thing that you may not have ever come across. So I, I think that's awesome. 
Can you tell me a little bit about the culture within your company, how you either shape it or ride it? Yeah, that's, again, another great question. So I think some advice I've gotten from folks having culture discussions over the years is like, you need to ride your culture, right? Like it's an expression I've heard is culture is it's like cement. It sets very quickly, but then you need a jackhammer to break it and change it. And there, there are a select few things you, you want to work on breaking and changing in the culture of every company. But by and large, I, I think it's about amplifying and magnifying what, what works, right? So Vercel has, coming from its, its origins as this company that was founded by a small group of people, um, very deep technical expertise, shipping a lot, um, being very productive, you know, that's kind of core to the DNA, right? And I think there's always uh, kind of like bad sides to like, oh, you know, you're shipping so much that maybe you're you're not, you know, improving or polishing. But, you know, instead of trying to like push back against, you know, the aspect of any culture aspect that's got its downsides, thinking about, okay, how do we shape this? How do we use this? How do we do things that work here? So as you look at how the culture is, your company today is there is there something that jumps out at you that you really love um can you describe any of that i touched on it before like we ship Vercel is an incredibly productive and fast moving company and i think that's incredibly exciting this is a question that going back to the interview rounds i've been doing people ask me like what do you love about Vercel?" and i say honestly like and i don't mean this in like a materialistic way it's the success Right. I think there's a lot of, of books you can read on like business strategy and, you know, how to do product discovery and how to build all these analytics. But like if no one wants to buy what you're selling, like, like you can end up chasing these delusions of like if I just ran the right A-B test. Right. If I just had the right like product discovery framework, we could get out of this. And like to a certain extent, that's true. But all of these things become amplified and become so much more interesting when you are you have this wind to the sale. We're really tightly aligned with our product and our users in terms of what we're delivering, in terms of our vision that we want for front end development. And I think that just makes everything, including data work, really exciting and rewarding and also really challenging in some fun ways that we've talked about. Right. When you're shipping that much, when you're changing that much, how do I build a system that's flexible enough? To, to be able to accommodate that and still drive data-driven decision-making. So definitely the speed at which we ship. So amazing that you're shipping so fast. And today, you know, in today's market, we see changes happening faster than ever. And this is going to lead right into generative AI. We see that happening everywhere. Is that happening at Vercel? Or, is it, or can you talk about the impact of maybe generative AI on Vercel or in the industry that you're in? Yeah, so... Vercel really wants to be the place that you build great companies, right? Great systems, great user experiences. And, and you can't do that in 2023 without um, AI, right? And so we, we've really invested in trying to make sure that if you're trying to develop an AI system, like Vercel is a great place to do that. And you, you'll see that, you know, we're coming up, um, you know, we're mentioned, in, you know, Chatter Online, there's a um, Anderson Horowitz um, kind of state of, of data right now. And we're mentioned as one of the, you know, the front end tools that you would use to kind of, 
you know, expose and serve your, your AI applications. So that's, that's definitely happening. And we're, you know, we're really invested in making sure that we continue to be the best place to have those experiences. Okay. So I know you're a big fan of prototyping and maybe experimenting. Can you tell us how that works and how you think about maybe prototyping, getting to, to answers and, and what that means to your business? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is something I've given a talk on before. And, and the goal here, it's going to sound a little bit funny, is actually really about, it's almost like this emotional experiential thing where you want your stakeholders to feel like something, to give them something real, to give them a sense of momentum. Going back to this idea that for sell loves to ship, you want to give people the sense that like, you know, what if I'm saying working on something, I'm not lost in the weeds. I'm not lost in some theoretical experiment. You have a really high sense of confidence that like a specific thing is being built that that meets your needs. And so a little more concretely, what I'm talking about here is, you know, I, I don't want to when you have a problem that might require pulling up a ton of data, making people wait and say, like, hold on, I'm getting the data, I'm getting the data, I'm getting the data. Oftentimes, you can start exploring that that space with your stakeholders with actually no data, right? Like you can start having the conversations of like, okay, I know the data exists, and and I know that we, you know, we have the technology to get the data out of the warehouse. It'll take us a while to get it right, but let's start talking about what you'd want to do with this data. Like, what shape of it? Like, do you need it every single day? Do you need it? by every billing period. And you can start pulling out a spreadsheet and be like, okay, so a column would be by billing period. And then another, all the rows would be, um, you know, the different companies. And then like, what's the line you need to make your, your decision? Do you need it summed over this? Do you need it broken out by that? And like, all of a sudden you can start like quickly, like prototyping um, and getting to the root of a very difficult question for, for everyone to answer, including me, is like, what problem are you trying to solve? It's a really, really difficult problem to articulate. I have a half joke that you can make it to at least the director level in your career by doing literally nothing by showing up, but showing up to meetings and saying, well, what problem are we trying to solve here? And how will we know if we solved it, right? Like it's, it is so, so, so easy to get lost. Um, and I think anything you can do to accelerate those cycles to, to orient on that discussion is super useful. And I think this goes back to, as you're talking about, like my, my background, my education, being comfortable with being like, well, let's just pick some numbers. Like, let's just start, you know, we know there's not 10 million customers on the platform, right? We know there's this amount, like, let's, let's start thinking about what this would imply for our measurements. What this would imply for what you need to solve your question. And, And I like that work again, because it gives stakeholders a feeling of like, Let's talk about a real physical thing that you can understand that is not abstract right now. Right. And I, and I think what you are touching on, too, is sometimes as technologists, we get lost in the technology, right? Mm-hmm. So business stakeholders ask us a business question and we're suddenly thinking about, you know, how do I write these concurrent queries? So and so. So I get performance out of my warehouse and they couldn't care less. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. So. We're getting to that shared understanding. And I think you were mentioning that before. Let's engage the stakeholders, get to the shared understanding so that you don't have this project that has gone offline or gone awry because we missed out on that opportunity. I, I think there's some staggering numbers here on the number of maybe uh, ML projects that don't add value, something mm-hmm. like 80 75, 80% don't have an ROI. 
And what you're talking about is fabulous that it actually takes you down that path, engaging stakeholders, prototyping, and getting to success quicker. I think what you're saying is totally true. And like, I'm not immune to it. I can give you a long list of projects that I've worked on at Vercel <laughs> that actually didn't, uh, you know, didn't produce stuff. Um, I can tell you a bunch of stakeholders where as I'm giving you the speech, I was like, ah, you know what? I really should have done this prototyping exercise with them. It's, it's, you know, I think we've touched on a couple of different things. Like this is, this is endemic in data work. Like you're never as aligned with your stakeholders as you want to be. You're never as close to the problem that you want to be. And I think, um, getting, uh, you know, this, you can all take this back to this idea of being an executive of like finding comfort with being comfortable with we're on a journey We're we're it's kind of a treadmill, but it's also another sense of journey. As long as we're improving, as long as we've, you know, we've provided more value this year than last year, like there's always going to be rough edges. There's always going to be in the vein of AI replacing us or not, which I don't <laughs> Well, there's always more work to do, right? So I love the self-awareness. I think that's important to be able to say, hey, this is where we did well. This is where we we didn't do so well. Now there's an area to work on. So we're going to jump into a lightning round. What favorite activity do you have that's not dealing with data? Oh, okay. My wife and I have a dog that we love uh, spoiling and taking walks on the neighborhood that quite literally uh, keeps me grounded. Um, another hobby I have, uh, something I picked up again during the pandemic was trying to learn to play jazz piano. Yeah, those things kind of spend my time. Oh, I love that. Uh, so if you, if you were CEO for a day, what would you tell a data team? <sighs> um, you know, deliver deliver value quickly, right? Like quickly and, and, and scalably, like get to, get to those touch points, get to those deep relationships and, and do, it on a, do it on a quick but imperfect cycle. Quick but imperfect. I love it. Give me a short, a one word description for ChatGPT. Exciting. That's interesting. I, um, I don't have a one word description for ChatGPT or GPT. Well, I until a few seconds ago, but... <laughs> I, you know what? I will tell you, though, when I think of GPT, you know, um, you you have this pre-trained transformer. I really think the new acronym is going to stand for general purpose transformer that, mm -hmm. you know, these transformers, these LLMs are going to be general purpose at some point mm -hmm. very soon. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned some books you were reading. So do you have a favorite book or mentor that you're you're reading or, or, or want to know from today? I mentioned that I'm working on my getting my more fundamental math uh, stuff. So a work, book I've been working on, if I really enjoy, is called uh, Linear Algebra Done Right. It's, it's intended to be a second course in linear algebra, kind of going back and doing it in a, in a more uh, a more abstract fashion than you do in your first pass in undergrad. So that's that's been great. I think for for management, I really love uh, Camille Fournier's uh, the, the Manager's Path. Is, is one of the books I recommend to everyone. Uh, it gives a really good overview of kind of the journey there. Uh, those, are, those are the two, first two books that come to mind. All right. Uh, and maybe last one, what are you most grateful for? Maybe besides the obvious uh, health and family. Yeah, so I mean, yes, you're right. Actually, I always have to shout out uh, health and family first. I think I'm just really thankful for, for the opportunities, like talking about uh, my career with you, I've been really lucky to be able to do um, a lot of stuff. I've had a lot of people who've, who've trusted it and invested in me, right? Like all the way back to 
my undergrad, uh, you know, my undergrad advisor taking me on for, for research, the Hubble Space Telescope, you know, feeling I can make a contribution and letting me build those systems. That first company that hired me to uh, be their first employee, uh, the healthcare company that, you know, wanted me to lead the founding data team and that Rosalda wanted to join me on these hyper growth journeys. These are all examples of people that took me on at a level that I, I wasn't fully at yet. Right. And they, they gave me those opportunities and gave me those room, room to grow. And, um, you know, I think that my, uh, my career would be less interesting. And certainly this interview would be less interesting uh, had I not had those opportunities. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I am thankful to have the opportunity to speak with you and to get your wisdom and maybe share it with the folks that are listening. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to be here and uh, thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.